I think it's only right that before we take some time to meditate on God's word, we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we give you so much thanks that you have gathered us together in this place as your family, that we might learn what it truly means to be your people. And so, Lord, as we come before your word, we ask that you would indeed give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us. Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Go get her, Ray! Go to the Gozerian! Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Are you a god? No. Then. Okay, so how many of you have been mistaken for a god? Nobody? Wow, all right, well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Hey, at least that didn't happen on election day, okay? Right? But, uh, but honestly, I mean, the, you're probably wondering, what, what are we doing? Pastor Nick opening a message with a clip from Ghostbusters. Well, the reason we're opening up with that clip is because, quite honestly, that is exactly what happened to Barnabas and Paul when they were preaching the good news in Lystra. All right, I mean, just take a look at this passage that we're studying from Acts chapter 14 for just a second. It says that, that Paul and Barnabas are, are in Lystra and they're, they're preaching and they're teaching. And while they're uh, ministering to the people there, Paul notices that there's a man who, um, who is lame, who's, who hasn't uh, been able to walk, and he's been listening to Paul's words. And, and it's in that moment that Paul, seeing that he had faith to be healed, he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man stood up and began to walk. And the moment the, the crowd saw this, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Again, because they thought that they were gods. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they're just astounded by this. They tell him, hey, no, hang on one second. We're not gods. Uh, we're just here to bring you good news about the one who is God. And then what ends up happening? The whole crowd goes, die! And they like stone him and chase him out of town. And we read this story and we're just like, see, this is why the Bible is just ridiculous, okay? For us as modern people, really, I mean, this is what we think about when we look at the, 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 the scriptures, 
right? So stories filled with magic and miracles, mistaken identities and deities, and, and, and people getting upset and stoning people and chasing them out of town. What possible relevance could this have for us today? Well, what's really fascinating about this story in particular is that it's actually incredibly relevant for us today because it teaches us what it actually means to be people who bring good news. And here's what I mean by that. Take a look at the story really closely. One of the things that's fascinating that I just find so interesting is the response of the people in Lystra. Because there's something in Barnabas and Paul that they suddenly realize is more than what they've encountered before. That as they listen to Paul's preaching, as they watch this miracle of healing taking place, they realize, wow, these guys aren't just coming with some sort of philosophy. They're coming with something that's divine, something otherworldly, something so beautiful. And our deepest desire is to know what that is. Now, they get it wrong. <laughs> they kind of apply to these guys their own, you know, pagan framework. But they do recognize that something is taking place in these guys' lives, and they're wondering... What is it? And so my question, when was the last time you were mistaken for a God, is actually kind of a relevant question when we start to think about our calling as Christians. We may change the question just a little bit and ask, when was the last time someone mistook you for Jesus? Because that's really what's going on here. These people at Lystra suddenly encounter these guys. But these guys come in and they bring this incredible message of hope and good news. They start talking to them about the deepest longings of their heart. And as they hear that message being preached and as they interact with them, what we see is people are moved. This man who's been lame, who, who can't walk, is moved in his heart. He's stirred to faith, to belief. And, and in that moment, Paul goes over to him and gives him an even uh, just another gift on top of the good news that he's received. He's experiencing the good news because suddenly he is now healed. And all the people are wondering, who are these guys? And in our increasingly post-Christian culture, in our increasingly post-Christian world, People are starting to wonder if Christians have more than just words. If we're preaching more than just a philosophy. If we actually believe what it is we're saying. And we're allowing that message to shape our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they see a little bit of Jesus. Because you see, that was Jesus' entire plan. And when I ask this question, when was the last time you were mistaken for Jesus? I'm not asking a question that's heretical. I'm actually asking a question that is a foundational part of the New Testament understanding of our calling as followers of Christ. I actually love what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, 28 to 29. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The expectation is that when you are called by God, when you, are, uh, when you suddenly find yourself coming to faith and, and, and you're called by that name of Christian, what it means is that you are being formed and shaped after the likeness of Jesus. 
Paul elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this in greater detail. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There seemed to be this expectation in the early church that actually you would become more and more like Jesus. In fact, that's how Christians got their names. It was in Antioch as they started to uh, interact not just with their fellow Jews, but with Gentiles. As they started to preach good news and to serve the poor and to sacrifice generously and to, yes, heal the sick, that they were called Christians. And actually the word Christian in Greek, all that means is little Jesuses, little Christs, tiny messiahs. It's because that's what people saw when they looked at the church. Unless you think that this is something that Paul just made up, it actually goes right to the heart of Jesus' own teaching. On the night he was betrayed, as he's telling his disciples what's to come next and what their calling is going to be, he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, my primary plan To transform the world and to reach lost people is to have normal, everyday men and women suddenly begin to look, live, and love more like me. And I'm going to send them to places much further away than any place I ever visited in my three years of my earthly ministry. He said that they were to make disciples. And in ancient times, there was this blessing in Jesus' day, and it was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It was a blessing given to disciples, and the whole image was that as your rabbi walked and kicked up dirt on the road, it would get all over your clothes because you were following him so closely. Why? Because you wanted to be exactly like him. Jesus says, this is the mission. This is the calling. That you would look, live, and love more like me and teach others to do the same. And his disciples so took that to heart that they didn't just minister in Galilee or in Judea or in Jerusalem. They ministered in Samaria. And they went beyond Samaria to Antioch. And they traveled through Asia Minor and the region of Galatia. They planted churches in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Athens. They continued to spread that message, going to the very heart of the empire, planting a church in Rome, but they didn't just stop there. If early church history is to be believed, and I think there's good evidence that we should, they went to North Africa, Spain, Gaul, Northern Europe, the steppes of Russia, and to South and Central Asia with the good news that Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior. But the way they spread that message was not just by talking it, but by living it. They were so shaped by who Jesus was that when people looked at them, they said, there's something more going on in the lives of these people, and I want to know what it is. That is our calling. So that question, when was the last time somebody mistook you for Jesus, is a very relevant question for us. Because it's at the heart of how we do life, how we express our faith, and how we share the good news. Because the world doesn't just need more information. What they need to see is that this good news, this hope goes down so deep, it genuinely transforms us from the inside out.
And it's a question that we should all be asking ourselves. Do I actually know who Jesus is, not just know about him? Have I actually allowed his priorities, his values, his way of doing life, his way of navigating relationships to shape my entire outlook? Because that's who we're called to be, according to the New Testament, more and more like Jesus. And of course, the ways in which you, you grow to know Jesus is first, you have to be in his word. You have to be reading about him. Because it says you read about his life and you see how he did life, that it begins to shape us and help us to understand what his kingdom values are and, and how he did life. It was his deepest desire that his disciples would reflect that. And so we have to be spending time with him. Spending time in prayer, spending time reflecting on the, on the gospels, or spending time looking at the epistles and seeing how the church, early church lived this out and saying, Jesus has called me to do likewise. But then it also means that as we do life, we look for opportunities where God might be opening doors to share good news. Because the more you study the life of Jesus, the more you personally reflect on it, the more you start to say, how can my life be modeled after his ways of doing life and ministry? Something interesting starts to happen. People actually do start to mistake you for him. Here's what I mean. A couple of years ago, shortly after we came back from seminary, my wife and I decided we wanted to lead a small group in our home. The reason why is because we wanted to do life like Jesus. Jesus gathered people together to reflect on God's word and to live out a life of faith side by side. It was fundamental to how he did it. His first like act before he ever did any sorts of miracles or preaching is what? He gathered a small group. So we said, we want to do small group with people. We gathered some people into our home and we decided to study the book of Mark. We wanted to look at the earliest biography of Jesus' life together and ask, what might it be like to have our lives shaped by who Jesus is? And a part of that group is we said, and we're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to invite other people to join us. We invited people from Trinity. We invited people from outside of Trinity to be a part of this discussion. And one person decided to join our group uh, by invitation. Uh, he was actually dating another person who decided to come to our group. And, and she even warned us. She said, hey, uh, my boyfriend, uh, he's not really religious, but I think he'd really enjoy a community like this. And sure enough, he shows up the first time. And he's like, hey, I don't really believe in God or religion or anything like that, but I appreciate having good discussions around the things that seem to matter to people. And so I wanted to be a part of the conversation. So we were like, cool, just glad you're here. Here's what we're doing. We're looking at the earliest biography of Jesus. We're going to study it together and say, who is he? Why should we believe him? And how might that change our lives? And he's like, deal. And for a couple of weeks, he kind of came every week and we started to see him. But then after a while, it kind of dropped off. But he stayed on our radar and he stayed in our prayers. And I actually texted him. I was like, hey, it's been a while. I haven't seen you. Is everything going Okay. How can we pray for you? And he said, hey, I really appreciate the prayers. Work has been insanely busy. I've been traveling a lot. I'm so sorry that I, that I haven't uh, been around, but, but I'll try to get back in the group when I've got some free time. We continued to pray and meet and look at the life of Jesus. And then I got a text message from him. He said, hey, are you free to like meet up for a beer? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm free to meet up for a beer. He's like, yeah, I'd love to. I've got some questions I'd like to ask. I said, deal, let's do it. So we met up at Solomoth Brewery in Naperville and sat down. And first and foremost, it was just really good to see each other and just to catch up. How's life? Said, I, I understand it's been pretty busy for you. He's like, yeah, work is crazy. You know, it's, it's going nuts. It's been a lot of fun, but really busy. I said, well, you said you had some questions. What's, what's on your mind? He said, well, you know, um, 
I think some stuff is going on in my life. And I was like, all right, tell me a little bit more. And he's like, well, I'm kind of at like the top of my career. He's two years younger than me. I said, so tell me a little bit about being at the top of career. He's like, well, my friend and I, we started up this company. And the company has been exploding. We are now a multi-million dollar company. I'm handling more contracts with more people than I've ever handled. I mean, this is beyond my wildest dreams in terms of career success. We're having larger companies approaching us, wanting to buy us out. We're wondering, do we want to do that or do we want to keep rolling with this? And, and I've got a great apartment. I've got a beautiful girlfriend. I'm making like crazy amounts of money and so on and so forth. But honestly, I just still feel dissatisfied. I've been reading a lot of books by, by, by leaders, business leaders uh, that I respect. And one of the things that, that's surprising me is that the ones that I respect the most seem to do life in a way that their career isn't the main thing. Like they all talk about like faith or spirituality in, in some way. And I realized as I've been reading that, and as I was thinking about our group, that when I look at you and Jenny, and I look at the other people in that group, you guys have that thing too. And I want to know, how do you do it? What's that thing? What do you have? I got to do just what Paul and Barnabas did in that moment and really say, hey, it's not me. Friend, I'm, I'm just a person, just like you. But I am someone who wants to bring you good news. Because the thing you're longing for isn't a thing at all. It's a person. You're longing for the God who made everything, the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, the God who, from the moment you were born, has provided for your every need, the God who blessed you with the opportunities you have, the skills that you possess, and these amazing doors that have been opened to you, that God who's given you every good thing, that's who we know. And we want you to know him too. And over the course of two hours... Um, over more than one beer, all right, I'll admit it. Uh, we had some pretty good conversations. I pulled out just a bar napkin and I sketched out the gospel story. I said, so how is it that you can believe Jesus is who he said he is? And I got to go back to our small group and say, well, what have we seen about him so far? In the book of Mark, what have you noticed about who he is? You've seen the evidence for yourself. And over the next several weeks, we got together every week to talk about Jesus and about life and about faith. And I remember this moment sitting across from him. He says, you know, I've been sitting here listening to you. I've been sitting here looking at the evidence. I've been sitting here reading the Bible for the first time. And I believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is. I believe that he is the savior of the world. And, and I want to have a relationship with him. I want to follow him. And he said, and all that started because I saw something in you. Not something that I had, not a specific skill set or gift, but simply because I knew who Jesus is. When was the last time you were mistaken for Jesus? The reason I ask that question is because this is how God wants to reach the world through relationships lived life relationships with other people, life on life 
talking about what's going well, what's not going well, praying for one another, walking together, studying God's word, listening genuinely to people's honest questions, engaging in conversation. God doesn't just want us to give people a bunch of information. They have all the information they could possibly need at their fingertips. We are the most wired generation in human history. They don't need more information. They need imitation. I love how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, I want you to imitate me as I imitate who? Jesus. Because it's as we reflect the life of Jesus in who we are and in how we live that it's going to shape and touch the lives of the people around us. Have we actually asked ourselves the question, do I have a life worth imitating? Because if we're following Jesus, then yes, we do. The reason that Jesus wants to reach the world this way is because that's how he himself did it. He didn't just shout truths down from on high, but he entered in and he became one of of us. I mean, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 2. He says, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew that we needed a relationship with God, not just information about him. And so he was willing to come into our world to leave his throne in heaven and be born a poor kid in a feeding trough in the armpit of the Roman Empire. He grew up running around with his neighbors, scraping his knees, even getting lost, not in the grocery store, but in the temple. He grew up and became a carpenter and got calloused hands and bruised knuckles. He wept at funerals, partied at weddings, walked side by side with friends. Yes, he did some amazing things. He walked on water, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, but his disciples said that it wasn't just those miracles that made him wonder who he was. It was his character. In fact, Philip and Andrew, the first encounter that they ever had with Jesus was not in some miraculous moment, but it was simply John the Baptist saying, hey, he's the one I've been talking about. And then they just went and hung out with Jesus at his house for an afternoon and walked away from that encounter saying, We've found him. Found the one who is the savior of the world. That relationship so impacted their lives, it so shaped who they were, that they then spent the rest of their breathing, waking moments simply introducing people to him through who they were. Because they knew Jesus. They wanted to become more like Jesus. And as they learned to look, live, and love more like him, they then turned around and taught other people to do the same. Speaking of Jesus isn't just about speaking about him. It's about living life with him in a way that so transforms who we are that it overflows and impacts the lives of those around us. So when was the last time you were mistaken for Jesus? It's a good question. Beautiful question. Because the answer that God gives us, he says, you are mine. You are called by my name. Through you, 
I will do even greater works than what you've seen so far. So come with me on this journey as I teach you what it means to look like me and to bring good news to those around you. And so it's with that in mind, I wanted to close us in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you entered into a relationship with us. You were not just content to stand far off and simply dispense some information or some interesting philosophy. No, you, you desired that we would not only know you, but become like you, that we would be conformed to your image. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that that good work you began in us would be brought to its completion, that you would teach us each day what it means to look, live, and love more like you. And we pray that out of the overflow of that, other people would come to know who you are. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.